You're listening to Spice Radio's The Morning Buzz, and we are now speaking to Margareta Dovgal, Managing Director at Resource Work Society. This week's topic is the Dicey BC NDP leadership race is now unfolding, and who might be Premier by year's end? Margareta, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Good morning, my dear, and great to be here. Now, Margareta, give us the scoop. What's been happening within the BC New Democratic Party, and why exactly should British Columbians care? Well, there's a good reason to care. The sitting premier, John Horgan, has signaled his intent to retire. That happened earlier this year, and it's triggered a leadership race within the governing party. And that's uh, pretty significant. Uh, they're the party that run BC, so people should be paying attention. And there was a bit of discussion over the summer whether caucus members like Ravi Callon or Josie Osborne might throw their names into the hat. But very quickly it became clear that the attorney general, David Eby, had cleared himself a path to victory. Uh, I mean, that should mean it's a coronation, right? Not so fast. Environmental activist Angelia Potter I entered the race. And I previously heard some commentators describe this as a strategic move by the NDP establishment to defray criticism that it's a coronation and uh, to help position EB as more of a moderate. Angelie ran in Vancouver Granville uh, in the last federal election for the NDP. Uh, she came in uh, short just behind now MP Talib Nur Mohammed. And she has an extensive background in environmental advocacy. The networks that she's built up in that race are clearly on display here. Because now not only has she signed up 10,000 new members, according to rumors, uh, to David Eby's 6,000, she also has a fair bit of momentum behind her. But like I sort of alluded to, this is a campaign that's been uh, dogged by controversy. And uh, there are three things, I would say, at the very least, haunting her right now. First of which are allegations that her campaign promised to buy memberships. Now, this comes down to someone who is a campaign volunteer uh, being recorded saying that they would cover the $10 membership fee for anyone who couldn't afford it. Uh, it's a bit of a no-no and also against the rules, uh, the, the law, actually, not just the rules of the race. Uh, secondly, there's allegations that her campaign has been receiving a form of unpaid contributions from the Dogwood Initiative, an environmental group, uh, which has been doing a lot of work to get their membership to join the NDP so they can vote for her. And uh, thirdly, there's allegations that her team has been asking Green Party voters to switch over to the NDP temporarily without formally resigning their Green Party membership just so they can vote in the race. I believe there was language in an email along the lines of, if, uh, if we're not successful, don't worry, you can just go back to the Greens. And uh, the first two are definitely things that Elections BC, the regulator of this race, cares about. But the last one, it's really just a matter of ethics. And ultimately, if you believe that party loyalty is important, uh, keeping party memberships in a straightforward way is, is, is valuable, then you may be a little bit missed by uh, what these uh, these alleged controversies indicate. Wow, what a controversy. What do you think will happen? Well, essentially, there are two paths here. Um, the first is that Anjali stays in the race, and ultimately it'll come down to not only the new sign-ups, uh, it's about 16,000 new members, allegedly, we're not quite sure, uh, but the 11,000 existing NDP members, and uh, whether they want her as premier. Uh, it, there's going to be a really interesting uh, bit of... Uh, Things that may happen here, I, I think there will be substantial efforts by the establishment to knock off as many of her signups as possible to the extent that they can. And uh, even though the EB campaign clearly didn't give it their all in their sign-up period, I think they assumed it was a safe ride, uh, there would now be adequate incentive for going pedal to the metal. And uh, I hear that might 
entail further deploying a caucus that is virtually united behind David Eby, including Ravi Kellogg, whose network was apparently not really tapped into. Uh, so I imagine they would do as much as they could to position him not only as uh, the uh, intended frontrunner, but also the clear frontrunner in this case. So fundraising uh, to reach and mobilize more members from that pretty limited pool would be the name of the game. And that would be a really fun one to watch because ultimately, to a large extent, I think they would be appealing to slightly different crowds, uh, both uh, among new signups and also those that uh, are already in the party. And the other path, the one that I feel is, is uh, on the horizon here is that the establishment finds a way to turf Angeli. And either of those three uh, potential controversies, depending on uh, whether there's a, a legal component there, she is currently being investigated by Elections BC, or really it's just a matter of, hey, you know, you ask people to uh, have double party membership, that's not chill. If, if there's a, a you know, rationale for that in the NDP constitution, um, they could turf her. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm not sure if anyone has made this exact comparison, but this entire situation is not entirely unlike Aaron Gunn and the BC Liberals. Uh, Aaron was uh, hoping to come in on a wave of support with uh, a very extensive social media network uh, throughout BC, and it's clear that he, if he had been in the race, would have presented a substantial, substantial threat to uh, Kevin Falcon, who was uh, at that time also the front runner. Uh, ultimately, Aaron's uh, bid to be a candidate in the race was rejected, uh, so that never panned out, and uh, I hear he's on to bigger, better things these days. But uh, it certainly strikes me as interesting that that seems to be a trend in how D.C. provincial party leadership tends to be decided. And where might all of this leave policy on natural resource development in B.C.? Certainly the question that I'm putting a lot of my uh, energies into entangling. Um, there's no question that uh, Angelia Potterai would be an economic train wreck if she made it to the premier's seat. And uh, that's not just uh, from the natural resources perspective. Um, but as she runs this campaign, she's clearly seeking to win over some younger voters who have left or somewhat disengaged from the BC NDP uh, through frustration uh, with the uh, Horton government stance on the coastal Gatlin pipeline. And uh, for those that uh, aren't in the loop, uh, you've probably heard about the Wet'suwet'en Nation and uh, uh, talk about a pipeline and some community opposition. Um, I think for the casual observer, this may seem like a bit of a David and Goliath situation, but uh, I should be clear, I've spent a lot of time on the ground uh, within the Wet'suwet'en Nation and uh, many of my friends there who are within the hereditary system trying to understand it. And what has taken place is that the organizations that Anjali paddles around with have been instrumental in creating horrible fractures in the Wet'suwet'en Nation. I think they've exploited tensions in a community that's still struggling decades after a decisive court case to revitalize its own governance systems and assert rights and title. And they've done that because they see it as yet another game piece to be played against, a project designed to export natural gas from B.C. and uh, their opposition to continued uh, fossil fuel exports even ones that are intended to displace coal in developing markets, is uh, the main re- reason for this. I don't think that that approach, which she's been going out pretty intensely on uh, with social media, makes her a principal defender of Indigenous rights, but rather I think it makes her a bit of an opportunist. She's keen to disregard the immense harms of her position on the economic and social well-being of Indigenous communities, and also the risks to the ability of BC and Canada to play a role in fighting climate change, 
providing clean fuels for a transition away from coal. But in a more general sense, I also think that her approach points to a deeper problem, not believing that the export of tangible goods is important and necessary. Really, the same set of criticism uh, goes for her stance on forestry. You know, she's almost certainly tapping into the anti-old growth uh, cottage uh, uh, industry. And I think there's a lot of problems uh, with that approach. Although EB would not be a Horgan replica, um, he does have the backing of nearly every member of the Horgan caucus. And uh, this race has certainly made me yearn for, for him to win. And if that very cynical analysis I pointed to earlier, that uh, really she's just a dramatic foil to uh, make clear that, don't worry, Evie's not crazy. Um, maybe that's the whole point. But uh, I do think it presents uh, a significant risk to the stability and confidence that would be needed for uh, BC's government to enable us to continue to responsibly develop natural resources that the world needs. Never a dull moment in politics, Margareta. Now, finally, the countdown to the municipal elections across the province continues. How are things going on that front? We're going in earnest. (laughs) There's uh, so many campaigns, it's hard to keep track of all of them. And uh, I have a lot of friends who are involved uh, across different parties, uh, across different municipalities, all trying to put their name in the hat and see if they can help uh, drive things in a better direction on some of the top issues in their communities. And I think I've mentioned this before, but housing is really the top one, uh, irrespective of where you go. Uh, there's a, a bit of, uh, you know, momentum and interest in uh, things like safety and uh, mental health and urban well-being. Um, but I think to, to a slightly lesser extent than a general consternation about uh, do we have enough housing? Uh, do we have too much housing? If, if you uh, listen to Colleen Hardwick, uh, who's running to be the mayor uh, for team in Vancouver. Um, but ultimately, it'll come down to how effectively all of these candidates and campaigns, many of the campaigns are independent campaigns, which certainly makes things interesting, uh, can mobilize their votes and their support by the October 15th uh, election date. And I've certainly heard some murmurs around uh, fundraising. And, uh, you know, I think it's, a, it's an interesting question uh, how municipal governments are decided and selected. Um, I sort of alluded to many different parties. That's an important piece here as well. Um, you know, there's uh, federal liberals who are running for the MPA in Vancouver. They're running for forward. They're running uh, for further campaigns. Uh, Colleen Hardwick says she's a liberal. So uh, that gives you a good example of the, the complexity of uh, municipal politics in this case. But I hope everyone takes this opportunity to re-up on the issues. If there's an opportunity for you to go meet your candidates, uh, and there's many of them depending on where you live, uh, go do it. Uh, this, this is not a decision you can make just on the basis of, oh, I support this party and I think I'll vote this way. It requires all of us meaningfully engaging and doing our best to demand better from our municipal representatives. Well said, Margaret. We do have to all get involved in the process here. Margaret, thank you so much. You take care. Have a great weekend. You too.